The postseason is here, and the Ringer NBA show has you covered with Real Ones, Group Chat, The Answer, and Ringer NBA Postgame. Check out the Ringer NBA show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. All righty, let's roll, baby. Welcome in another week. Another edition of New York, New York with you is truly J.J. John Jastrzemski right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. And I know what everybody's waiting for. Everybody, I think, from basically Saturday night on has been expecting, I believe, a John Jastrzemski meltdown, a John Jastrzemski eruption after the Yankees humiliating embarrassing and humbling weekend, getting swept yet again by the Boston Red Sox. I'm to the point now with the Yankees where I think many of you just have to accept what they are at this stage in the game. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to try to talk all of you into. Acceptance. They're not very good. They're not very good. The flaws, the warts, the problems of the first three months of this year have been on full display for everybody to watch all weekend in Boston. I don't know where to begin. If it's not being able to hit, if it's not being able to hit with runners in scoring position, Friday night, had an opportunity in the ninth inning. Frazier, LeMayu, failed to get it done. Saturday, it felt like opportunity after opportunity Bats were MIA. Sunday, the one decent threat they have. Down four, bases loaded. LeMayu and Judge up. Can somebody get a big hit? Of course not. But this isn't new. This isn't a surprise. So it's like, well, why am I getting myself all ticked off? All, like, just crazy. They haven't hit all year. Why should I expect it to change this weekend at Fenway? Why? The sloppy play. 
that we've seen from the Yankees all year. Saw plenty of that up in Boston. And Duhar not throwing to the right base. Voight on Saturday. Bad base running. You got bad base running. Friday, Urshela getting thrown out at home plate. Why is Phil Nevin said to them? Who the hell knows? This weekend, in many ways, folks, a microcosm of the first three months of the year. Not a good one. And David Cohn said it best, for those of you who are watching the broadcast on Yes, and I was. The Red Sox on Sunday. In a game they did not need to win. They came out hungry. They played aggressive. They played a clean, crisp ballgame. They did that. Here's the quote from David Cohn. One team is sharp and ready to play. The other is flat. You could not be more spot on in describing the Yankees and the Red Sox in 2021. And again, I'm not going to make the narrative of today's show, fire this guy and fire that guy. I've said my piece on that. I'm not going down that rabbit hole once again because they're not making changes in season. I'm over it. I've accepted it. it. Whether I want it to happen or not is besides the point. They're not making changes, at least right here and right now. But don't sit there and tell me that a manager doesn't matter in 2021 when I look at the Boston Red Sox and I look at the New York Yankees. I'll tell you what wouldn't sit well with me if I were Brian Cashman, who I've been one of his biggest apologists, defenders, you name it. Cashman got to take a lot of heat for the product he's put together this year. Whole lot of heat. Seeing Garrett Whitlock, Nathan Ovaldi, and Adam Ottavino embarrass your Yankee hitters, that would make me sick to my stomach. Remember, the Yankees just dumped out of Vino, which I had no problem with because he stunk last year. But now that the Red Sox are resurgent, let's be honest, he is the perfect guy to pitch against the New York Yankees. Righty, slider, the whole deal. I'm watching Brooks Krisky instead of Garrett Whitlock. That's one that's not going to age well. I'll tell you what else is not going to age me well. Seeing Garrett Cole as non-competitive as he was on Sunday. Garrett Cole has not been the Yankees' problem this year. He's had a great season. He's been an ace. He's been a gamer. He's pitched in a whole lot of big games. This is probably the worst start he's ever had in a Yankee uniform. On a day where his team desperately needed him to go out and do the job, Garrett Cole gave up four runs in the first inning, bombed the Kike Hernandez, three-run bombed the Rafael Devers, and gave up six runs. Cole sucked. On a day where his team needed the absolute pick-me-up, the ace felt flat on his face. He's got to take heat for that. And I know everybody's going to be saying spider tack, sticky stuff, didn't have it. That's why I didn't pitch well. Cole stunk. He deserves a ton of heat for what happened on Sunday. But it's the overall team problem across the board. In a good division, with teams that are not going anywhere, they stink in the AL East. They got a losing record against Tampa. They're 500 against the Blue Jays. They're now 0-6 against the Boston Red Sox. 0-6. Is the season over? Not necessarily. Still have an entire half of baseball, but this is supposed to be a championship team. I keep saying that. This was supposed to be World Series or bust for the New York Yankees. 
Does this team look anywhere close to being a World Series team? As right now, the answer is an emphatic hell no. So for the time being, I said I wasn't going to get crazy. I said I wasn't going to let it bother me. It's bothering me to no end. I should take my own advice. I don't do it enough. Because I was actually dumb enough to think the Yankees going to play well this weekend. Shame on me. Beatles have a song. I should have known better. That's me, all right. I should have known better from what I've seen three months into this year. They got to regain and earn the trust of the fan base. Especially against the most hated rival and teams in the American League East. Oh, my God. The comparison between the Red Sox and the Yankees at this point in time is startling. And for the Yankees, the entire team to a man on Saturday said, we know Sunday's a big game. We know we need a win. We got to do this. We got to do that. We got to be ready to play. And you come out like that? You know, I heard Michael King with Meredith mention the idea, like Meredith asked, is the clubhouse right now an uneasy place after losing to the Red Sox? And he was like, no. That's a problem. That is an issue. You just got whooped by your division rival two games in a row before Sunday. You're 0-5 against them. The clubhouse should not be a happy place. It should not be some like, oh, nicey nice, play music, this. No, you should be on edge. You're getting your ass whooped. You get embarrassed. Please. Clubhouse is not a place on edge. What kind of bullshit is that? Holy moly, what kind of bullshit is that? So the Yankees are now 0-6 against the Red Sox. They've lost three games in the standings. What a disaster. What a disaster. All right, we'll get to Yankee voicemails. We'll get to John Harper from SNY, but a treat. We got him. I don't know how we pulled it off, but sometimes when there's a will, there's a way. To try to talk some sense into me, hopefully. The voice of the New York Yankees, John Sterling. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. It was as bad as it gets for the New York Yankees. They get swept by the Boston Red Sox yet again. And I figured we had to sound the bat signal. We have to welcome in a guy who was in rare form today with Susan Walwyn as I'm driving back. I felt their pain. I felt their misery. The legend, the radio voice of the New York Yankees, the great John Sterling. Hi, John. How are you, buddy? Well, what a nice introduction. I don't know if any of it's true, but thank you. Yeah, this was a, a terrible weekend. I, how can you sugarcoat it? They got swept by Boston in Boston. They got swept by Boston in New York. They got swept by Detroit in Detroit. So the Yankees are very inconsistent and very uneven, and they they have some problems to address. And um, but I think you know, it, for all Yankees and Yankee fans and all, we know that it hurts a little more because of the Red Sox, and we went up there and and got. Um, Yankees scored seven runs in the three games. I said this on the air, John. You can't score seven runs at Fenway Park in three games. They have no chance to win. I mean, a lot of runs are scored in that ballpark. So, 
Oh, no question. And think about this, John. You and Susan were talking about it. You look at the names in the Yankee lineup. The idea of them being as hapless as they have been for a majority of this year offensively seems absurd. I mean, you run through the back of the baseball card with a lot of these guys. You're wondering where the production is. Um, Did you ever in your wildest dreams, forget about the change in baseball, forget about analytics. I never could have imagined, John, that three months into the year, the New York Yankees, the Bronx Bombers, would be hitting like this. Yeah. Well, everything you say is... Is absolutely true. When you look at the lineup, that was a left-hander pitching today uh, who had an ERA in six. And uh, look at the Yankee. It was the lineup was totally right-handed, and you couldn't point to one guy and tell me he's a bad hitter. And um, but that's that's when you look at the names. But the names <laughs> have to perform, and obviously uh, most of them are not performing. And um, why it would change, I don't know. But obviously, it's going to have to change. And I imagine that Brian Cashman is certainly going to explore the trade market, you know, maybe after after the All-Star break. Oh, they have to. And think about this, John. This is a must for the Yankees. 0-5 against the Red Sox. You got your ace, Garrett Cole, on the mound. And I heard David Cohn say this. I went from the television broadcast to the radio broadcast. So I'm fair and balanced. I was showing everybody love today. And Coney said this, John. He goes, starting off this game, one team is sharp. They're ready to play. That's Alex Cora's Boston Red Sox. And then you see the Yankees. The mistakes that I've seen all year, they're completely unacceptable. I mean, this is not major market, major league stuff. Throwing to the wrong base. The amount of base running blunders they've had. Like, how infuriating for you. You've watched a lot of Yankee baseball over the years. Fundamentally speaking, John, this is one of the worst fundamental Yankee teams I've seen in a long, long time. Well, first of all, I've, I've been so fortunate to have so many teams that go to the playoffs, and uh, five of them, excuse me, John, and five of them um, have won World Series. So you can't really remember exactly. They've had they've had a couple of poor teams in between. Anyway, you're right. They've run the bases terribly. They've hit into um, a mammoth amount of double plays, which doesn't tell the whole story. You know why? They were tied before today in hitting into double plays with the Houston Astros, and the Houston Astros have by far the most runs in baseball. By they have by far the best offensive team. So I don't know if double plays or the base running is very poor. Uh, they don't have any speed outside of Wade and Gardner, so they can't play that game. No, you know, any Yankee and Yankee fan has to be displeased because they're just three games over 500 with what looked on paper to be one heck of a team. Now, I thought of this because I thought you would call today. Um, And it's it's a terrible cliche, but it really is true. In baseball, see, baseball, as you know, you play every single day. And the cliche is you're never as bad as you look when you're losing or as good as you look when you're winning. And I I, I cling to that because I, I hope that there will be a, a Yankee transformation in the second half, which, you know, I've seen in my lifetime. I've seen everything. So, But I've, I've seen an awful lot of baseball teams come back from a lot, a lot down. So um, even though it looks awful after this weekend, I'm not giving up on the year. I totally understand that. Now, you saw the comeback in 05 when they started 11 and 19. Joe Torre's 07 team was, I think, under 500 on July 1st, and they went on some crazy run and found their way into the postseason. 
If the Yankees are going to turn their season around, John, is there one specific thing you would point to above anything else? Well, uh, I would say if they're going to win, they have to win uh, on offense. I mean, these guys have to judge. Sanchez, Stanton, Torres, how many guys? LeMayu, how many guys should I name? I mean, that's, wouldn't you say, you look at that, that, that's a good hitting team. They should be able to score a lot of runs. And explain this to me, John. What has happened to Gleyber Torres? Gleyber Torres looked like he was going to be one of the bright young stars in all baseball. I, I watch Gleyber Torres hit. I watch him in the field. He looks like a lost puppy out there, for goodness sakes. Well, um, no one can explain it. And, I'm, you know, I'm hoping, probably grasping at straws, that he's going to break out of it and become. I thought Gleyber Torres would be the ideal number three hitter, you know, because he's going to hit for high average. He's going to hit home runs. So um, that's a, that's a, one of the many disappointments. Anyway, they can win with if they if they live up to their power numbers and if they uh, keep their bullpen healthy. Um, you know, the starters um, will have to battle it. Uh, you know, Cole's much better than he was today, and Cole's great, but Anyway, but they they have to get to the bullpen, a deep bullpen. And anyway, that's the way. If you say, how can they win? That's the way with uh, power and bullpen. Are you buying, and I know I am, because I've been one of his most adamant defenders. I felt like I was one of the few left on the ship when it comes to Gary Sanchez. I love what I've seen from Gary recently. Is it back quality has been great. You know New York City and New York Yankee fans are a sucker for a good old-fashioned comeback story. Do you believe, John, with what he's doing over the last three or four weeks is sustainable the rest of the year? Yeah, because I always thought he was a very good hitter. And, of course, when he blossomed on the scene, he was hitting homers every other game. <laughs> but I, I always thought he would be an actual good hitter. And he he lost you know, taking the slider away to right field. Uh, this is me now. And I have seen him go to right field more now and – there isn't any reason, and also, as you know, all the right-handed is, you know, they think right field, they're going to fly a ball, it's going to, it's going to leave the ballpark. So, anyway, it was a bad weekend, but we're not going to give up hope. And um, um, I thank you for being on your, your program, and I wish you luck. I wish you all the luck. Look at you giving us a little pick-me-up right now. Do you miss, by the way, going to the games? Does it bother you now that you're not at Fenway, here, there, and everywhere? we got to work on that, John. We need you back where you belong, everywhere. You're a renaissance man. Well, it's not exactly ideal doing it from a monitor. No, <laughs> you know, you only see what they have on their screen. Um, but anyway, I imagine that'll happen in the future. And um, So anyway, so thank you, and you take care, okay? I appreciate that. That's the great radio voice of the New York Yankees, John Sterling, catching in. How about that? John Sterling. I had to get him on the line. How to get a sense for what was going on. And hopefully we'll have John traveling, trying to keep a positive outlook on things. What can I tell you? All right. We'll come right back. Jedi are being murdered. On June 4th, Star Wars returns only on Disney+. Plus. I didn't do it. Believe me. She was my student. Let me be the one to bring her in. Now she is a student of the dark side. An acolyte. Star Wars The Acolyte. Two episode premiere June 4th, only on Disney+. Plus. So, I've decided that we're going to split up the voicemails today. 
Now, I haven't heard any of them, so I expect them to be rather outrageous, and we'll see if the voicemails are as heated and as crazy and as passionate as you got from me right out of the start of the show, even though I vowed that I wasn't going to get angry and I vowed that I wasn't going to get upset. I mean, I don't listen to myself. I don't take my own advice. So I'm going to do Yankee voicemails right out of the gate. Then we'll hear everything else, and we'll get to everything else in a little bit. So the Yankee fan is not feeling particularly good. 0-6 against the Red Sox. They scored seven runs and three games up in Boston. Embarrassing. And sloppy, pathetic, sad baseball. And good for David Cohn, who was all over at the start of the broadcast. All right, let's see that Yankee reaction. Fire it up. What's up, JJ, Rob, and Edison? I just want to say one thing to all Yankee fans. WWGD. What would George do after watching this atrocity in Fenway Park this weekend? They're going to be six, seven games out behind the Red Sox and the Rays. It's going to be a struggle. They can still do it. They can still make a playoff run. They've got to go over that tax threshold and make a trade for a pitcher even a bat at July 31st. Max Scherzer should be on their radar. A left-handed outfield bat should be on their radar. Anyway, WWGD. Talk to you later, bro. Appreciate it, Rob. You know, normally I hate hearing about, well, if George were around, if George were alive, what would be different with the Yankees? But I can tell you this. Taking that narrative aside and throwing it out the window, there'd be far more of a sense of urgency. I can tell you that right now. I'm done asking for in-season managerial type changes or coaching changes because they're not going to happen. This is going to be the Yankee group. They do need to add. You mentioned a pitcher. Forget about that. They need offense. They have not hit. They need to get more athletic. Can you do that over the course of the next month? I have no idea. Watching Brett Garner in center field, listen, he's exposed playing every day. Today, watching Frazier and right, Judge in center, and Andahar in left, I mean, that's just, it's, it's not athletic, shaky. It's a shaky, shaky outfield. Scherz is a pipe dream, and with the Nationals only four games out of first place, he's not going anywhere. Focus on the Yankees getting lefty and becoming more athletic. That's where I'd start. But they got to earn that over the next, Three to four weeks. Because right now, they're six back of Boston. They're five back of Tampa. They're behind Toronto, for goodness sakes. That's all you need to know about where the Yankees are at right now. Behind Toronto. They're a fourth place team. Not good enough. Sloppy. And flat out unwatchable. Who's up next? Hey, what up, JJ? This is Eric from Syracuse. Uh, it's 2.35 on Sunday afternoon. 6 nothing Boston. Bottom of the fourth, just in case you can make a miracle comeback, you can laugh at this letter. But uh, first of all, it's time to fire everyone. Cashman, Thames, um, whoever the pitching coach is, Boone, all fired. And speaking of fire, we need a fire sale right now. Everyone is available. Cole, Judge, I don't care. If you get a reasonable offer, take it. This thing has to be burned down to the screws and start over again. They need to just rebuild this whole thing because this ain't working. So, see ya. Bye. Eric, that's not going to happen. The Yankees are not blowing up the entire operation. First of all, I'm not even convinced the Yankees will sell this year. I think there's too much at stake. 
I think they're too invested in this particular year. They are not selling off talent. I'd be shocked if that happens. Yet alone Garrett Cole and yet alone Aaron Judge, who are going to be cornerstones for this franchise. But would it, would it kill Aaron Judge to get a big hit? I mean, holy moly, would it kill Aaron Judge, who hits a home run when the Yankees are down six to nothing? How about the at-bats when Aaron Judge has a chance to do something with the game on the line? Like Saturday night against Adovino or Sunday with the bases loaded. That's where you need Aaron Judge to show up. And I love the guy. I love rooting for the guy. He's a good dude. His performance when it comes to delivering in the clutch and delivering when his team needs him the most has not been where it needs to be. That's just all there is to it. Who's up next? Hey, man. It's Jack. Um, What's the level of concern with Garrett Cole right now? I don't want to overreact, but I'm watching this game and he's been four runs in the first inning. Um, He had a five-run earned run outing against Tampa Bay not too long ago um, and against Texas not too long ago. He's had some good ones in there, too, so I don't want to freak out. But with this whole, like, sticky substance thing and then a bunch of, like, really crummy outings, how worried should I be? If he's not the ace that we think he is, then I don't know if we have a shot to get back against these red-hot teams. Let me know, man. Uh, looks like you had fun this weekend at the wedding. Happy for you. Uh, getting to celebrate life again after this pandemic. All right, buddy. Take it easy. Well, that was the silver lining to the weekend. If you saw my Instagram story, I was busting a few moves on the dance floor. And that was enjoyable. And that was a ton of fun. The Yankee weekend was not. The Yankee weekend was flat out miserable. It was sickening. It was tough to watch. It was tough to take. As far as Cole and my level of concern, I'm mildly concerned. Cole's had a lot of good starts, even after the whole sticky stuff, spider attack scenario. Here's the problem. The strikeouts are way down. The spin rate is way down. He got pounded by a good Boston team today. In a game where his team desperately needed a pick-me-up, Garrett Cole gave you his worst outing probably in a Yankee uniform. Four runs right out of the gate in the first inning. Home run from Kike Hernandez. Three-run bomb from Rafael Devers. Let's be honest. At 4 nothing, this game was over. It was done with. And now Cole will go up against the Mets on Friday. There'll be a whole lot of watchful eyes. Because if he stinks it up again, that becomes more and more of a narrative. Fair or unfair, that's what these pitchers got to deal with. With the changes that have been made by Major League Baseball. Not fair, not right, but you got to deal with it. So... I think ask me that question, Jack, a week from now, and I think I'll have a much better answer on Garrett Cole. Who's next? JJ, how big of a tease are the New York Yankees? They put together a nice week, have a good series against the A's, then they come into Fenway and put up an absolute fucking dud and get swept again by Boston. This team gives you a glimmer of hope, and then they put you in a shit position again when they go and play a good team in the division. This team is real hard to watch, and it sucks being a diehard Yankee fan. I try to tune into every game. But I'm, I'm having a hard time watching all these games, man. And you want to know what? I hate to say it, and I love Garrett Cole, and I thought he was a great signing for the Yankees. This whole thing with the substances on the baseball, I really think it's going to impact Cole and Bauer. They're going to be the two guys that impact the most. And this is going to kill the Yankees. The Yankees need Cole as an ace. Besides Cole, Montgomery's been their second-best pitcher this year, but they need Cole. It looks like the Yankees are going to be about an 85-90 to 90 win team. Honestly, man, I just want to blow it up. I don't know what you think, but at this point, to me, this team's unwatchable. 
And, and it's hard to, it's really hard to root for these guys, man. Let me know what you think. I'm, I'm kind of hoping that we blow it up the deadline. Even though I don't think Cashman will, I think it's the right direction. We have too much of this game hitter. I, I just don't like the direction of this team. But uh, thanks. Love the show. They need major changes. They're not blowing up the team. I think you got to kind of separate those two instances. The idea of the Yankees changing the look and feel of their team, whether it's in July or at the end of this year, needs to happen. They're not trading off players, though. And the idea that it's like a fire sale. They're not going to approach things that way. So I think your lean and your feel from that standpoint is going to be accurate. The Yankees do need Garrett Cole. Listen, first things first, the Yankees got to figure out how to score runs consistently. And you mentioned the good week they had against Kansas City. They had a couple of good wins. But remember, they were three outs away from losing two out of three to the Royals. Think about it. They were three outs away. Chapman has the meltdown. Boone, Santana, the whole deal there. They almost lost two out of three to a team that had been slumping and playing terribly. The Yankees got to go rattle off like 15 out of 20 before your confidence is really going to be restored. And it doesn't look like Corey Kluber is anywhere close. That was my fear when the Yankees signed Corey Kluber. The guy never pitches. And sure enough, right after the no-hitter, he's back on the shelf. You're waiting on Severino. You're waiting on Clark Schmidt. But the Yankees need to hit. If they're going to get back in the race, if they're going to turn this season around, they have to mash. And they're not doing that right now. They went up to Boston in the biggest series of the year, and they scored, what, seven runs in three games. Good luck trying to win at Fenway Park that way. John Sterling was all over it. He's 1,000% right. We got two to go from the Yankees' standpoint. Two to go. Who's up? John, Justin, Justin in Miami. Another great weekend for the Yankees against the Red Sox. 0-6 now. And you know what the best part is? The Red Sox pitching isn't even that good. You wouldn't know it facing Nate Evaldi, who looks like Randy Johnson against the Yankees, but throws straight batting practice fastballs against everyone else. And then Ed Rodriguez. My God. Is this Pedro Martinez out there? Why are we the only team which can never hit this guy? Three stiff pitchers this weekend and what we score. Five runs. 0-6 now against the Sox this year. What do you expect, bud? I mean, there's no accountability. Brian Cashman, no World Series in 13 years, one division title. You had a job where your performance never mattered. Why would you care either? It's a disgrace. And uh, it sort of feels a lot like 2013 to me. Remember that year? Red Sox kind of came out of nowhere, pulled the Wolf Series out of their ass, and then went back to losing 90 games. Kind of feels like that between Boston and San Francisco, two fan bases which certainly don't need a great season out of nowhere. Probably going to get a giant Red Sox World Series, and then you could make some money next year when they both go back to losing 90-plus. But for now, bud, looks like a really bad year from this, my perspective. Take care. I see the 2013 comparison with Boston. I do because this team has come out of nowhere. I don't see the 2013 comparison with the Yankees because of the expectations. The Yankees in 2013 were an aging, decrepit roster, and it was obvious. They had guys break down before we even got to spring training. Older players. These are not older guys on the Yankees. They're supposed to be a team in the prime of their careers. Prime of winning. And they're going backward. They're not going forward. They play sloppy baseball. They're poorly put together. They're terrible on defense. They run the bases poorly. They're not a fun watch. Anybody who's going to sit there and tell you the Yankees have been an enjoyable watch over the first three months of the year is kidding themselves. Going like pulling teeth watching this team day in and day out to the point where 
I'm questioning my life choices going to Yankee Stadium Wednesday and Friday night this week. It's like, well, what is my problem? What the hell is wrong with me? Yeah, I'm doing some soul searching on that. I really am. But I should do some soul searching on a whole lot of other issues and problems. And yeah, I'll leave it at that. I told Simmons I may uh, need a, uh, a sports shrink after this weekend. I was wondering if the Spotify Ringer health plan could maybe throw that in for me. I asked uh, Uncle Bill, who uh, was talking a whole lot of shit after the weekend. And actually asked Jacko and I, he goes, have you guys even beaten us this year? And I think he knows the answer to that question. I can't even be a jerk back. I mean, what am I going to say? What am I going to respond with? 27 rings? The hell with that. I don't want to hear that from a Yankee fan. You got to take a little humble pie right now. Team stinks. Call it like it is. They're not fun. They're not good. Who's up next? Hey, JJ. Matt from Williamsport. First time caller. Actually, uh, just started listening when you went over to the ringer. Big fan. But uh, I want to get your thoughts on, uh, obviously, everybody hates Aaron Boone. I hate Aaron Boone. And at the end of this year, he's probably going to be fired. And I hear people talking to Walter a lot. Um, what are your thoughts on maybe Don Mattingly? You know, I... Uh, if anybody knows that happy Yankee way, how to lead that team, it's him. And uh, since we're stuck with Stan, maybe get the guy that got the most out of him a couple years ago, even though he'll probably never hit 59 bombs again. I'll, I'll hear, uh, hear your thoughts on it, Chase. I appreciate it, brother. So. Don Mattingly is one of my favorite all-time players. I did not want Don Mattingly to get the job in 2008 because of the relationship between he and the Yankee fan base. And here's the way it works. When you hire an icon, you got to be aware of the fact that relationship can go sour. Chris Mullen, St. John's. Perfect example. It happened in the 80s with Yogi and George and the Yankees at the time. Managers are hired to be fired. If you're okay with the idea of maybe soiling a little bit the Mattingly Yankee legacy, he'd be an upgrade over Aaron Boone. I'd take him as the Yankee manager. I'd prefer Buck Showalter moving forward if the Yankees make a change. But you also got to figure out if Mattingly is leaving Miami. I think he just got a contract extension, if I'm not mistaken. So I don't think Mattingly will be available at the end of 2021. And remember, Cashman had a chance to hire him and didn't hire him. So be aware of that. So no, I don't see Don Mattingly as Yankee manager next year. I'd be surprised if that's the case. Very surprised. So we'll set the stage for what the Yankees might be looking at at the deadline. How much are we putting the onus and blame on Aaron Boone? And is anybody amazed the Mets are still in first place? We're going to get to that. Let's welcome in John Harper, my longtime pal, longtime baseball columnist. SNY is coming up next. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, 
all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Brutal weekend for the Yankees. We know that. The Mets split a series with the Phillies, but yet the offense continues to be a problem. Let's welcome in one of my old pals. He's been covering baseball a long, long time in New York City. I spend a lot of time with him now over at SNY, the great John Harper. Harp, what's happening, brother? Welcome to New York, New York. Yeah, thanks, JJ. All good. How you doing? Harp, I'd be doing better if my <laughs> beloved New York Yankees could find a way to beat the Boston Red Sox. And, you know, you're a guy that came and has covered a whole lot of managers, and you've covered a whole lot of teams in your time here in New York City. I get annoyed, Harp, when I hear a manager doesn't matter. And I understand that GMs have all this say. Analytics has a whole lot of say. But I look at the difference in the Boston Red Sox, 2020 to 2021, and I draw that directly to Alex Cora. And I see the way and the brand of baseball that they're playing, and I compare that to the brand of baseball the Yankees are playing. And I don't want to pin all the blame on Aaron Boone, Harp. I know that's not necessarily fair or, you know, reasonable. But are you one of those guys that's with me and says, yeah, hey, guess what? Even though it's 2021, a manager after all still matters. Uh, I think so. No doubt. I mean, in different ways, maybe. I mean, you have to make the right in-game decisions. That's part of it. But a lot of that now is dictated or some of it's dictated by the analytics and by the front office. But uh, you can clearly see a difference between Cora and Boone. You know, Cora... He's a really sharp guy. He's on the cutting edge of information, and he's one of those guys that just has a real great feel for the game. He's always been a guy that can pick pitches. We know he went over the line with the Astros in that sign-stealing uh, stealing scandal, but he's also obviously made a difference with these Red Sox, and I think he's got, he's got an edge to his personality, too, that he knows how to push guys and embrace them at the same time. I'm not sure Boone has that. I mean, Boone... I've always been told by people that that work, played with him in the past and worked with even worked with him on TV. He's got a he, he's got more of an edge than maybe you see. But but you know what? We haven't seen it with the Yankees. And he's he does everything he can to cover for his players and say all, all the positive things after a game, which is kind of the, the, the way the modern manager is asked to handle the press and stuff like that. But at some point. I think you have to send messages to your players, whether it's publicly, privately, or whatever. Not sure Boone is doing that. And I think today, uh, really, mine represents a bit of a, uh, a, a maybe, a, I don't know if tipping point is the right word, but a line in the sand here, mainly because I know you were on it as well, but I was tweeting about it. David Cohn, man, he went after Oh, he the, was destroying him and Harp. Everything he said was fair, accurate, and reasonable. And listen, to me, the sloppy play, it's not all Aaron Boone. But it's his baseball team. Sooner or later, you have to be accountable from what you're seeing from your team. How much of that sloppy play are you put on Aaron Boone? Well, I tell you what, sloppy play is one thing, but I think the thing that struck me most about what Cohn said was he said, this team has looked like it's not prepared. And when you say that, that is a buzzword that says the manager, that's, that's going to fall on the manager. When you start saying a team doesn't look prepared, that is what a manager is asked to do more than anything is have his team ready to play, especially in this era. Have him ready to play, have your players ready to go and play hard and be, be, be smart. This team has not played smart. That was the point Cone made over and over. And he didn't lay it on Boone directly, but he's a, Cone's a, obviously a sharp guy. He knows when he says that, that's going to fall on Boone. So, it was really interesting to hear Cone go there because he has to know 
he's he's crossing a line, especially with on yes, because yes doesn't really uh, appreciate those kind of comments necessarily. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see now what the fallout here, here is, if there is any. Because when Cohn says something like that, I mean, that's going to spread wide and far. And I think we're going to find out just how how uh, connected uh Cashman is to boom because obviously I think I don't see Cashman making a move there because it's such on him. He's the guy that went to Boone after he fired Girardi when Girardi took him to this game seven in the ALCS. So that's going to reflect really badly on Cashman if he makes a move with Boone. But I think at some point, Cones, Cones indirectly making a point. This team, somebody's got to take the hit here for the way this team is look continuing to play. Do you get the sense, Harper, where they're at in the standings? They've been awful in the AL East. They've not played well against Tampa. They're 0-6 against the Red Sox. This is a team that had World Series or bust expectations. Do you think Brian Cashman is going to be as aggressive as he's been in years past? Remember the Robertson, Frazier, Canely trade. 2018, he goes and gets Jay Happ and Lance Lynn. The Yankees clearly need athleticism. They clearly need a center fielder. They could use some starting pitching help too. Do you get the sense the Yankees push all these chips to the middle of the table and say, to hell with it, we're all in in 2021? Or does this performance now in the division and where they're at in the standings, do you think that'll give Cash maybe some form, dare I say, of hesitation? Uh, well, I think there's a couple of, of avenues there to answer that. For one thing, their, their, their farm system is not nearly as stocked as it was a few years ago when he was making those trades. They don't have a lot of those real high-end guys uh, especially, especially in the upper levels of their system to trade, to bring in a guy that they may want. The other part of it is, is how Steinbrenner going to be willing to take on salary because the best way to go about maybe making a deal for a, a high end guy is somebody like a, maybe a Trevor story. Who's making big money. The, the, the Rockies probably want to trade him because he's going to be a free agent. Uh, but uh, if the Yankees take on that salary, they're going over that luxury tax threshold, which we know how Steinbrenner does not want to go over. So, I think Cashman's going to be as aggressive as always. <clears throat> I just don't think he's going to be in a position where he necessarily can be. I think that's really the issue. Okay, Hart. Garrett Cole couldn't have been worse today. And I think he's a stud. He's been great for the Yankees since he came over. But there's this whole sticky stuff, spider tack controversy that's surrounding him and so many other pitchers out there. You know he has a bad start. It's going to be something that people are talking about. Is it legitimate concern? Is it one start and you kind of shrug it off? I think my bigger problem is, Harp, for a guy who's been money for the team the last two years, arguably the biggest game they play this year, he's non-competitive giving up four runs in the first inning. Is this something you'd be very, very concerned, alarmed, scared of if you're a Yankee fan? I'd be somewhat concerned because I think, uh, look, anybody can make a bad pitch, but, I mean, that that was really a bad look today. 0-2 pitch. He, he can say that he tried whatever he I, I heard him afterwards saying it just kind of cut on him or whatever. You can't throw that pitch down the middle of two. That's what I mean. Cone was killing him for that. And uh, the other part of it is, though, I, look, his strikeout numbers are down significantly since all this stuff started. He's only had one big strikeout game since since all the sticky stuff became an issue. So. And he basically, he all but admitted it when, with that, that, those non-answers he was given when he was asked about the spider tech stuff. So I think you have to be concerned about it. He still has dominant stuff. He's still throwing 100 miles an hour. But maybe with that, without that, that little extra spin rate, he's not getting quite the same uh, late life on the fastball and not quite the same break on the breaking ball. It may not even be something you can, you know, that is detected by the naked eye. But 
it's there. And he, when his strikeouts are down, it's really, I think it's what three out of four games. Now you have to think there's some effect there. So I would, you know, if I'm a <laughs> Steinbrenner, I'm nervous about it. I'm paying this guy 326 or $324 million for what nine years. And he's still got a long way to go on that contract. Harp, I'm trying to figure this out on the other side of town and I get it. They have the Grom, they have Walker and Stroman's been pretty good outside of today. It is amazing you look at the Mets' offensive numbers and where they're at, runs scored, home runs, the year they've gotten from Lindor, he's been god-awful. And yet, Harp, I look at the standings in the, in the National League East, the Mets are a first-place team, and I think they're comfortably a first-place team. Pretty crazy, huh? It is crazy. I mean, hey, let's, let's face it, they're in the right division. That's part of it. But still, you have to give them credit for finding ways to win games to me, they're almost the opposite of what they were last year. Remember how many ways they were losing games, bad defense one day, bad base running, bad bullpen, bad starting pitching. This year, it's almost like they're better than the sum of their parts, which can be a, a really good sign. In my, you know, teams have those kind of years, and then they really start to believe, and it they, and they just carries over. But I don't know. This team's got to start hitting. You can't survive like this. I was looking it up today. I think it's uh, – 29 runs or something in their last 13 games. It's ridiculous. I mean, and they're getting some guys back. You can't blame it all on the injuries because some of their guys, this, this, the, 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 what is it? The mob, uh, the bench mob, as they call them, have actually performed better than the starters. So I, I don't know. Is this who they are? I'm a little bit, I'd be a little bit concerned about this offense if I'm a Mets fan because I'm not sure it's going to kick in. Remember, they had big problems last year in terms of hitting runners in scoring position. That was a major issue earlier this year. It hasn't been quite as bad. They're just not really hitting at all. I mean, it's, it's shocking to me, especially a guy like Jeff McNeil. I know he's just back again from the injury, but he just doesn't look like the same hitter. I can't quite figure it out. If he got if he got a little too pull, pull conscious and pull happy when he was hitting all those home runs a couple of years ago, and now maybe the ball isn't flying quite as, well, as much as it was, but he doesn't look like the same guy. Conforto can't seem to get anything going on a consistent basis. I think they got some major issues, and it's. I think it's going to be a matter of how far this pitching can carry them. Uh, they're going to have to get another starter, Carrasco, back at some point or something like that if they really want to take this thing, go as far as they can to October. Harp, I keep waiting for Lindor to go on one of those monster tears. I thought last Saturday might be a turning point. Hits the two home runs against the Nationals. Then he has a couple of bad games. Then he has a couple of good games. Then he goes right back into the tank. Is it what exactly? You know, like I, I is the hard contact is not there. The yeah. consistency is not there from people you talk to around baseball, Harp. And I know you talk to a lot of dialed in, connected guys and gals within the game. What are they seeing with Francisco Endor, a guy who got his three hundred plus million dollar contract and has looked nowhere close, quite frankly, to being that sort of player. Yeah, I it's most people I've talked to are a little bit baffled by it. The one thing I've heard, which I never really, you know, I hadn't I hadn't watched Lindor on a consistent basis, but there some scouts say that he has always been a guy that as times has trouble with high velocity. But I think they're shocked by how how poorly he's adjusted to the, to the breaking stuff. Yeah, he's looked he's looked really bad at times, and they can't quite figure it out. In that game on uh, Saturday, he comes up in a huge situation with chance to win the game against uh, Naris, a guy who he, he lives with that splitter, and he's chasing splitters that are hitting a, front, a foot in front of the plate. I mean, come on. He's been around. He's got to have a better approach than that. It does. It shocks me because it, it, the one good thing on his side is that, and scouts continue to say that, sometimes it looks like the ball just 
he makes it look effortless. The ball jumps off his bat when he's on time. And it, so he's got the pop. It's not a question of that, but he's, his timing just hasn't been there all year. Obviously at first you could, you could blame it on uh, the high, the high contract, the big contract, the pressure and all that, but he should be beyond that by now. I, I can't quite figure it out. Cause you're right. Every time he has a big day, we all say, wow, he's going to take off. And he really hasn't done it. Harp final one. You were around watching Pedro at his peak in 99 and 2000. I'll never forget that game at Yankee Stadium. Gave up the one home run to Chili Davis. And then the Yankees, who were the peak Yankees at the time, didn't have a chance against them. I mean, a great lineup, completely flabbergasted every which way. Is it now fair to put 99-2000 Pedro and what we're seeing with DeGrom every fifth day? I think the answer to that question, Harp, is yes. I, you can't disagree. I can't disagree because what he's doing is just phenomenal. It's absurd. I mean, I keep waiting for one of these games up where he's going to be off his mark and give up like four or five runs. Silly me because I might be waiting all year at this rate. Yeah, but you know what? He didn't have his good stuff yesterday or Saturday, and he still was able to limit the damage two runs in six innings. I mean, that's how – that's just – Must be nice, it. right? You have F stuff, you go six innings and two-run yeah, baseball. Know. It's crazy. He said he had no feel for his changeup as slider, and he still goes six innings. But to, to, to uh, compare it to Pedro for me, the one thing that's just mind-blowing for me is that Pedro was – part of his greatness was his intimidation factor. He came inside, and hitters knew he, was gonna, he wasn't afraid to come inside – and that he, he stood them up routinely all the time. And that made his breaking stuff and change up all that much more effective. DeGrom almost never comes inside. He throws to one side of the plate almost exclusively to that glove side, the right-handed side, uh, the outside corner on the right-handers, inside corner on the lefties. He never comes inside a righty. So they can be diving out there and they still can't touch it. because He's so precise. <laughs> he's, he's hitting spots at 101 miles an hour. So from that perspective, I've never seen anything quite like it. Harp, it's always good hearing your voice. I'm glad that we have finally made this happen here on a new platform. Continued success, my dude. Always great seeing your face, hearing your voice, all that good stuff. And hopefully the next time we're having a conversation, Harp, the Yankees could score a couple runs. That'd be nice. Just saying. Yeah, we'll see. Hey, congrats on the new gig, JJ. Keep it up. And uh, thanks for having me on. There you have it. That's the great John Harper, longtime baseball columnist. Check him out. He's doing great work with me all the time over at SNY, Baseball Night in New York. Then he's doing Geico Sports Night, one of the all-time greats. We got more reaction. The Islanders say sayonara. The Mets split a series. They got offensive problems. Harp was all over it. Back with more. New York, New York, right after this. So it was a weird weekend for the Mets. Weird weekend. They split a four-game series with the Phillies. They had a couple of dramatic wins. They're aided by the Philly bullpen stinking up the joint. The Philly defense, which was embarrassing on Friday. Beyond embarrassing on Friday. And Sunday they had an opportunity after a couple of dramatic wins to go and take three out of four. And you had the comparison. And going back to a show I used to do on SNY, The Thread, I remember when this came up. It was the idea of who would you rather have long-term, Marcus Stroman or Zach Wheeler? And I was adamant in saying it was Wheeler. He had earned it. He had earned his New York Mets stripes, even though that's more of a Yankee term with the pinstripes. But I wanted Wheeler long-term. Didn't have the new ownership group. Therefore, you couldn't keep Zach Wheeler around. Goes to the Philadelphia Phillies. Wheeler's been one of the best pitchers in the National League. 
Seven shutout innings against the Mets. Strikes out eight. He's got a 2-2 ERA on the year. If the Mets could do it over again, Zach Wheeler is still on this team. Unfortunate. Now, Strowman's been really good. He's pitching to a 2-4-5 ERA on the year. Not great. Not great on Sunday. And yeah, long term, I'd rather have Wheeler over Strowman. Strowman is not your issue, though. The Mets pitching is not your issue. The Mets are in a situation where they're not scoring enough runs. Listen to this for a minute. Listen to this for a minute. The Mets have scored 27 runs in 13 games. Do the math. 27 runs in 13 games. How are they still winning is my question. Hart nailed part of it. It's the division. They've also been gutty. They've also been resilient. But if they are going to amount to anything this year, they need to do a better job offensively. You hope McNeil being back and Conforto being back would spark the team. Not score runs yet. Alonzo, he's had better at-bats. He had a good game on Sunday. I, I, I keep waiting. I keep waiting for Lindor to break out. He had a two-hit game today, but he's still hitting 219 on the year. That, to me, is the missing ingredient for the Mets. When are they going to be able to do a better job of scoring runs? The good news for them, despite their offensive issues, four-game lead in the division, they got a six-game lead in the loss column over Philly, seven-game lead in the loss column over Atlanta. It's a good spot to be as they get ready for this week, and we'll have the Subway Series, of course, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And before we get to some more voicemails, we did a Spotify green room on Friday for a bunch of the bummed-out New York Islander fans, and it was a hell of a run for the Islanders. They played their tails off. They fought their hearts out. They lose a heartbreaker one to nothing at Tampa Bay. They lost to the better team. But when you give up a shorthanded goal, and that's the difference in a game seven, that eats at you. That bothers you. The Islanders went through a stretch for like 24, 25 minutes in a game where they couldn't score. Meaning they couldn't get a shot on goal. Forget about score. They couldn't even get a shot on goal. They had their run over the final six minutes. Wasn't good enough. They closed out the old barn in style. They have nothing to feel ashamed about. They played and gave you everything they had. They unfortunately lost to a better team. And somebody was asking me the other day, how do the Islanders get to a point where they're over this hurdle and over this hump? And it's difficult. It's a tough question to answer because they're well coached. They're super gritty. But you need star power. The Islanders need another guy who could give them some star power, can score a big goal in a big spot. Tough to find. Very, very tough to find. Voicemails galore. Part two. We had the Yankee edition right out of the gate. Now we get to the smorgasbord after the fact. So, so Rudy, fire away, baby. What do we got? JJ, it's Anthony and Sayoff. But, you know, we're invested with the Golden Knights. Each team wins their first game, and now neither team advances. That's a tough break. You know, for the rest that, that were involved with us, I hope you hedged and made out at least your money back in a little sum. That being said, I, I was asking myself, why am I taking this Islander one so hard, though? I think a lot of it has to do with the Coliseum. A lot of your listeners that are Islander fans, and again, I didn't grow up an Islander fan, but a lot that are Islander fans and are, and are from the island have a connection to that place. It was a dump, but it was our dump. It was 15 minutes away. You could go see your hockey games, your concerts, your wrestling events. I saw Andre the Giant, Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior. I saw Metallica, Black Sabbath, Pantera. 
uh, Kiss. Only one I didn't see is Billy Joel, which I'm, I'm upset about that. But I'm going to miss Coliseum, JJ. I know you enjoyed it with Carver, by the way. Carver's Islander spots were tremendous. I'm looking forward to those next year. God bless the Nassau Coliseum. Um, and, and that's basically all I wanted to say. Thank you. The great Anthony and Seasset pays tribute to the old barn. And I'm bummed out I will not be there for the Stanley Cup final. But I am very grateful and very appreciative to our guy, Justin, loyal listener of New York, New York, who found a way to get Carver and I out there for the final game in that building. That was a hell of an experience. That was a hell of a time. Tough pill to swallow. And if you had the 25 or 30 to 1, I hope you hedged in game number 7. Who's up next? Hey, John. This is Jake from Charlotte. I just want to comment on the Mets. Month of June, they have to be the worst first-place team in baseball that I've ever seen. Their pitching's phenomenal. Their hitting is putrid. They can't buy a run most days. I just, this team is very frustrating to watch. A lot of people have false hope because they're in first place in a terrible NL East division. I just, I don't know what to think about this team. You know, if they make the playoffs, they're going to be out in the first round, like, Nothing. So, Metzer hopefully can start uh, hitting the ball here, but I just see no hope right now. So, uh, yeah, they're the worst first-place team in baseball. Thanks. Yeah, they might be the worst first-place team in baseball, but here's what they have going for them if they get in the playoffs. Jacob DeGrom and really good starting pitching. Do I think the Mets are better than the Dodgers and the Padres at this point in time? No. They get into a short series. They could beat anybody. Just get there. That's my advice. Just get there. And with that pitching staff, you have more than a puncher's chance. Can't say the Mets are dead in the postseason here on, what, June the 27th. There's just too much baseball left for me to make that sort of proclamation, if you will. Dying straights right now, far more of a slippery slope for the Yankees than it is for the Mets. The Mets are exactly where they need to be. First place is first place. Just got to hit. Two to go. What do we got? Hi, JJ. This is Max from Westchester. Um, just started listening to your podcast, big fan. I want to talk about the Jets signing Morgan Moses on Friday, the right tackle from Washington. He seems pretty good. We got a good offensive line now with Beckton, Bear Tucker. McGovern's our center. I think he's better than he played last year. The right guard spot's still tricky. They got to figure that out. But now right tackle, you got Moses. That's a good offensive line. We got Coach Sala, we got Zach Wilson, who I'm not totally sold on, but hey, we've never seen him play. He could be good. I don't know. I'm feeling the Jets this year. They could be a little wild card team. Maybe surprise some people. I was wondering your thoughts on the upcoming season for rookie head coach Sala, Robert Sala, and rookie quarterback Zach Wilson. Big fan of the show. Love to hear your thoughts. Thanks. Well, I appreciate that, Mac. Listen, Moses is a good signing. You can never have enough offensive linemen. I like the fact that Joe Douglas is trying to build an offensive line around Zach Wilson, which is something they failed doing right out of the gate with Sam Donald. The idea of wild court talk in the Jets, though, is way too premature. And I think it's a little delusional at this stage of the game when you look at the AFC East and see Buffalo and see Miami and see New England All three teams, much better than the Jets. Low expectation kind of year for the Jets. But if you have the quarterback and the coach, it's a nice place to be. Last but not least, who's on the horn? 
Hey, what's up, JJ? You know it is. Mike from Stanford. You know, when you hear my voice, we're talking Knicks basketball, baby. You know what time it is. So, for the first time in a while, I actually didn't care at all about the draft lottery, and it felt pretty damn good. It's like all these teams are looking for uh, when they're going to be drafted, and I'm just like, oops, can't relate. And then, you know, it feels pretty good. But I'm just wondering, who you, do you know who you want in the draft, what you want the Knicks to do? You know, there's a couple options. The reality is we've got a chance to get a couple of good guys and maybe trade up for uh, one good guy. Uh, but I really like this kid, James Booknight, out of UConn. I think he puts a ball in the hole. I think that's what we need, like an alpha scorer, like you said. He gives us that in the guard position. I also love Davion Mitchell out of Baylor. I think his motor is uh, top-notch. I think just his competitiveness and his – all in game is really good. And I also like this kid, Rocco Percacin, out of Croatia. And the reason I like him is because he's like the top prospect coming out of Europe right now. And if you notice, these guys that are coming from that Balkan area, like Croatia, Serbia, obviously Slovenia with Doncic, uh, Bosnia, you know, that Balkan area produces some excellent ball players. And they, they all come into the league. They know how to play. They got a toughness about them. So if we take the top prospect coming out of Croatia, and actually the top prospect out of Europe right now, I'm okay with that because I like our chances of of us scoring on the top European prospect, particularly from that Balkan area. So let me know what you're thinking. Uh, Go Knicks, baby. And uh, I love the podcast. You know what time it is, man. Thank you. Love you, John. Well, I appreciate that. Um... Assuming the Knicks have their draft picks, and in a perfect world, the story that came out earlier today, Dame Lillard wants out, and the Knicks take all their draft picks and trade them for Dame Lillard, I'd be A-OK with that. Whatever it takes to get Dame, I've said that over and over again, but assume that's a pipe dream. And let's assume the Knicks are sticking right where they're at. I want to hit a home run in the draft. I don't want a safe pick. I don't want a rotation guy. If there's somebody they believe has star, and they identify that player, go get him. I like Book Knight. I like Mitchell out of Baylor. I watched a lot of him last year. I watched a lot of those two guys. The kid in Croatia, I have no idea. I don't like speaking on European players. I'm not watching them play. So I'd be lying to you if I told you I had this great detailed scouting report. I don't have the slightest idea. If the Knicks identify him as a star, then by all means, I'm all ears. But I'm kind of hoping and praying those draft picks. I'm maybe going away to Portland Trailblazers. I'm going to wish, I'm going to hope, I'm going to pray. So, to help us get a sense for the Stanley Cup Final, the West Finals that might be on the verge of wrapping up maybe as quickly as Monday night, and I'm already starting to itch. I feel it already as we are moving closer and closer to football season. Let's welcome in from Sports Grid in the morning after, my good pal, Ariel Epstein. Hi, Ariel. Welcome back. How are you? Thanks for having me on again, JJ. Nothing better than being on New York, New York as a New Yorker. Yeah, except for the fact that the Yankees stink, get swept by the Boston Red Sox. <laughs> and, you know, Ariel, I was actually dumb enough to suggest that I thought the Yankees would play well. And when I went on your show Friday, I'm glad that I didn't suggest to the audience to play the Yankees for the series this week and up in Fenway. If you guys would have asked me about that, I definitely would have suggested that should have been a play, so I'm glad you guys didn't ask me that question. Just saying. The worst part is I'm actually spending the 4th of July in Boston. 
I'm going to actually go to a Red Sox game this upcoming weekend. It feels wrong. I don't want to really be there, but I want to be there because it's Fenway and I love baseball. Yet I will never be wearing a Red Sox jersey. I'm just trying no, to figure out what to No, you're not allowed to, to do that, but you will enjoy Fenway. You will enjoy Lansdowne Street. The, the beers will be flowing. It will be as patriotic as it gets up in New England, so you'll have a good time. Unfortunately, you can't talk a whole lot of smack. I got to know, before we get to the NBA and the NHL stuff, are you at the point where you're doing daily, five-day-a-week you know, gambling content? And you got all four of these sports to talk about, which is great. I love baseball. It's my first love. Basketball and hockey are great. But from a gambling sense, nothing beats the NFL. Are you starting like me to get that itch? I know I am. I have such an itch to get to the NFL season. The only thing that's stopping me is I remember getting to a point pretty much week 16, around there, week 15, week 16, where the lines were so sharp that it was so hard to bet the NFL. That's when I found the defensive player props. I started betting a lot of the total tackle props which I absolutely loved that saved me throughout the playoffs everything else was so tough to get a grasp on yet the beginning of the year in the NFL the first half of the season there are so many ways to find edges especially when you get to the props market that's why I'm so excited for the NFL season to start I just I love that every team starts at zero Everyone has a chance. I weirdly am a Baltimore Ravens fan. My dad's from Maryland, big Yankees fan because my mom's from New York. I'm totally divided. Yeah, it's always so much fun when you could, every fan starts optimistic. And then from a gambling perspective, being able to take advantage of the books early on in the year, there's also some win totals that I really like. There's one in particular that's my favorite, which scares me because I've given it out pretty much every show. Wow, so you have a favorite, you have a favorite win total already? Oh, yeah. All right, Love you got to share then. I see. I didn't know you actually had a favorite win total. So what? Oh, is, yes. What is the favorite win total that you've pounced on? I love the under for the Jacksonville Jaguars of six and a half wins. That's this a lot of wins. Team, That's a it's lot a lot of wins. wins. They had one win last year. You're telling me they're going to get seven? Does it scare you at all? The idea that now there's an extra game, and now like your kind of sense of what a nine-win year would normally be or what a 10-win year would normally be. I feel like it's going to take me a year or two to kind of immerse myself in that sort of lingo because, you know, like 10 and 7 this year, it's a good year. But it's like a 10-win team is like a nine-win team in years past. You know what I mean? Yeah, thinking of the ratios is really hard. All these win totals, I'm trying to just subtract one win off of it. That makes me put it in perspective for what it was previous years. For example, I compare this year's Jacksonville Jaguars to last year's Cincinnati Bengals. The Bengals didn't even sniff their win total. I'm pretty sure it was five and a half last year, and they had four. Now, the Bengals last year went into the season as a one-win team. They had the first overall pick in the draft. They got their quarterback, Joe Burrow. They had a new head coach. They were all excited. This team didn't sniff their win total. They needed at least two more wins to get there. I look to the Jaguars the same way. They got the first pick in the draft and a quarterback out of Clemson, Trevor Lawrence. They have a new head coach who's really exciting and going to sell tickets in Urban Meyer. Yet, you're really telling me that there's not going to be any kind of growing pains? These two are just going to be this automatic duo and triple their win total within a few months? No, no, no. I don't see them getting seven wins this year. The win total, I'm going to be all over. And I think you're going to like this because you have a Raven helmet in your background. I think the Steelers are finishing in dead last in the AFC North this year. That's right, because Baltimore, 
Cleveland, and I think the Bengals, that's right, I think the Cincinnati Bengals with my man smoking Joe Burrow are going to have a better record than the Steelers. I am going to fade the Steelers every which way with the problems on the offensive line. I think Ben Roethlisberger, Hall of Famer, is totally shot. Ariel, that's the one I'm throwing out early. I'm putting that in the memory bank. Steelers, under, under, under. I love it as a Ravens fan. I could see them not making the playoffs. I'm interested to look at how those lines have moved. I haven't checked them recently of teams to make the playoffs. I'd assume the Steelers know would have some decent plus money, yet the defense too, just remember they lost a bunch of defensive players too in the offseason. The defense is what kept the Steelers alive this year. I could see that happening. Okay, let's get to some sports that we got active. We got plenty of time to finalize those totals, but it's good to know you're on the Jaguars on the early I'm on the Steelers on the early. We'll revisit a couple more of these fun bad boys and girls when we get back to September. Now, Stanley Cup final. Tampa, after beating the Islanders, they look pretty much unbeatable. The Canadians, it's been crazy, though. And Ariel, you know me. I'm not really betting regular season hockey, but in the playoffs, I jump on. Anytime you got a team who's like plus 350 or something crazy like that in a conference final and they win, that's eye-opening. Do you think Montreal will be as live in the cup final as they were in the conference final? I look to the Canadians as I look to the Dallas Stars of last year. Tampa Bay is just that much better than Montreal. Montreal is a sneaky good team. I also, I always rely on NHL.com's Pete Jensen because hockey is not my strongest sport. Pete Jensen has told me in the last two years, I've had him on the show, last year he said the Dallas Stars were his long shot to make the Stanley Cup Finals, and they did. Yet they played not well in the Stanley Cup Finals. It was Tampa Bay series, and it never looked at anything else. I could see the similar thing happening this year where Tampa Bay is just that much better. Also, a lot of people say home ice advantage doesn't matter in hockey, yet Montreal is only going to be playing in front of 3,500 people. Tampa Bay is going to have their entire house packed. They would have had the entire house packed eight months ago. Tampa Bay getting to play in front of their home crowd, and it's going to be craziness inside. I could see them getting the slight edge. You can't underestimate what Montreal's done in the last couple of series. However, it just scares me to back the reigning champ. I mean, to not back the reigning champs who have home ice advantage with all their fans in the arena. Let's go to the NBA. I have two teams that have burned me all postseason long. Atlanta is one. The Clippers are the other. I've gone against the Clippers. They've made me look stupid. I take the Clippers Saturday night thinking it was a great spot for them. It was a sharp spot. Everybody's betting Phoenix, yet the line's going the other way. And Ariel, they can't make a shot to save their lives. It's five and a half right now. Do I go back to the well and take the Clippers one more time? Because I'm thinking long and hard about it. I'm on the fence. I'm going to allow you, maybe, subconsciously, to sway my opinion. We'll see if you're able to do that. Is the Clippers plus five and a half a short bet? Is it a sharp bet, if that's your question? I'm not sure yet. I have to see how the lines move you going want, You'll have a better idea Monday morning when you're doing the morning after is what you're Yeah, Monday and that's morning. Fair, and I get that. Gut feel, yeah. though. Gut feel. Total, though. Total. How do you not bet an under? How do you not bet an under in this series? This total has already dropped by four points since it opened. It opened around 218. It's consensus 214, 215 around all the different sports books, including at FanDuel. 
JJ, you have to go under here. Yeah, I love points props for Reggie Jackson. If you want to back the Clippers in any way, if you're nervous about the Clippers and you just want to back the Clippers in any way, you just got to take the over on the Reggie Jackson points prop of 19 and a half. The book hasn't moved the prop yet, and he's averaging 21 and a half points per game. He's gone over it in five of his last six games, including three out of four against Phoenix. You have to start betting this Reggie Jackson points prop. It was your most profitable bet in the Clippers for this series. I like it. We're going to put that in the memory bank, and maybe that's a play we have Monday night over a cocktail at happy hour. Before we let you go, baseball betting. Has there been one particular trend that you've capitalized on? Baseball, I I try to tread lightly. I try to pick my spots ever so cautiously. I'm done taking big favorites. Those days are over. Uh, I learned my lesson a long time ago. You're going to love my prop. So let's see. I'm very curious to hear this prop. What is it? Anytime the New York Yankees face the Toronto Blue Jays, okay. all but one or two of those games this year have been decided by two runs or less. On the FanDuel Sportsbook, you go to the minus two and a half run line section. You can go and bet either team to win by two runs or less, and it's always at minus 105. It's been one of the most profitable ways to bet the Yankees this season. So when the Yankees are playing the Blue Jays, under two and a half, whole lot of close games. Either game, it's not under two. Oh, right, right, right. Under two and a half for the game to be decided. So the winning team wins by two runs or less. I like that. I Minus like that. Now, the only Minus problem is I don't know when the Yankees are playing the Blue Jays next. So Me either. But it's been my favorite bet. Trend. But hey, if it's profitable, <laughs> we roll with it. Ariel, thanks for checking in. Continued success <laughs> on the morning after. And I'll be watching that Reggie Jackson prop just for you, okay? Thanks, JJ, for having me on. Good luck. Ariel Epstein over at Sports Grid. We go from Ariel, and we close out the show with the great Jeff Money. Money, take it away. What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicapper picks. It's going to be from Monday the 28th. I like the Clippers plus the five and a half over the Suns. I think they've been to keep the game uh, real close. They've been keeping it close there in uh, Phoenix. I don't think, if anything, they might even pull out a victory here. But if anything, I'm definitely taking the points. So that's what I'm going to take. I'm going to take the Clippers plus the five and a half. All right, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. All right, Jeff Money, a family play to say goodbye. I, too, am going back to the well. I tried to get a blessing from Ariel Epstein. Didn't exactly get myself a blessing. She wants to wait until Monday, and I can understand why. I think the Clippers will be in the game. I don't know if it's enough to win. I could see them losing another heartbreaker. I will take the five and a half points with the Clippers. That's where we're rolling in the NBA. We got a jam show for you on Tuesday. As we get closer and closer to the Subway Series, remember if you want to leave a voicemail, there's a great way to do it. It's a very easy way to do it. 917-382-1151. Fellas, fabulous job. A lot of craziness. It was a crazy weekend. I didn't enjoy the Yankees. I most certainly enjoyed the dance moves. JJ, signing off. Enjoy your week. We're back on Tuesday. Be good, everybody.